Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello, I'm David Kern. I'm Heidi White. And I'm Tim McIntosh. And you are listening to Close Reads, a podcast for the incurable reader. And on today's episode, we are going to be asking questions from incurable readers for us questions it's an ama ask us anything aua not ama it's that, an is AUA. that like a thing yeah it's a it's a reddit thing, that, AMA. Like rolled off the tongue okay yeah an ama it's like a it's a reddit thread like people will go on there and do amas for like three hours this is an aua ask us anything ask, and ask you did yeah that, that's you asked us pronoun actually yeah, us. us yeah, yeah. <laughs> you asked us all kinds of stuffs and what we have done is categorized we have categorized your questions into segments and we are going to take turns asking these questions of one another so this is not going to be an episode where i just ask questions of Heidi and Tim. It's going to be where we avoid giving your thoughts. We're going to rotate the hosting duties one question at a time. Tim is asking where our spreadsheet is, which is a great segue for me to explain what I have done. The the drama that I've put, put, put Heidi and Tim through. And now I can't copy the link while also talking. Okay, Tim, I'm going to send the link here on the zoom chat it's right there there we go so what i did was i categorized all of these questions at least the ones before we started into segments we have several segments should we say what the segments are ahead of time or should we let um, them for sure, come up as they, they made go? me laugh so hard i don't okay. i don't care how you do it either way but they oh, are brilliant okay we'll just give some we'll give some preview we'll do a little preview okay. here for people so the first segment is a three question segment to get us started it's called the strong feelings segment you've asked us many questions about things that we are supposed to feel strongly about and we're going to find out just how strongly we feel about them then we're going to go into a one question segment called the jesse brown asks a personal question segment in which jesse brown asks a personal question it's not really that personal but it's it was funny to, to have a segment jesse called brown's that. online persona is the same as her real person persona she's a real person and she's just like she is yeah she's true yeah. great then we're going to go into the segment during which we rank stuff because you asked us about favorites and ranking and sorts, all sorts of things. Lots of questions about that. Then we're going to move into a little segment called the biography segment in which we answer questions that are about our biographies, I guess. Weird how that worked. Lots of questions in that segment. Then we're going to go into the segment called the segment during which we try to be mildly helpful because That's you asked us <laughs> for tips and we're going to do our best. But I think the best we can do is be mildly helpful. Then we're going to move into the hopes and dreams segment in which you asked us questions about our hopes and dreams and sometimes asked us questions related to your hopes and dreams. Then we're going to go into the segment in which we answer questions about our souls because you can't stop asking questions 
that are about our souls. Then we're going to go into a one question segment called the segment in which we choose a close reads code word because somebody asked about a close reads code word. Then we're going to conclude with a rapid fire segment in which we, in rapid fire fashion, ask questions that would be best suited for rapid fire fashion. So those are the segments. Are we ready to dig in? Tim, are you ready to dig in? Heidi, yeah, are you I'm ready so to dig ready. in? I was born ready. I'm so okay, ready. So here's what we're going to do. I will ask the first question. And we, even if you ask the question, you should still have to answer it. But we'll just say that the, the other two people get more airtime, basically. Then we'll go to Tim and then we'll go to Heidi because I flipped a fake virtual coin earlier that came up with that order. So first is the strong feelings segment. And the first question which it is my duty to ask of the two of you is from Russell Henderson. So Russell, thank you for this first question in the strong feeling segment. He asks, what is the one or more consensus great book that you despise? Heidi? Oh, I've got an answer off the top of my head and it is Paradise Lost. I don't like it. I under I recognize it's genius. I just, How? I am just so fascinating. When, so when you I say don't you like don't Paradise like Lost. it, what you mean is it's just for you, you don't like reading. Yeah, no, I, ex- you're not I saying this is a bad book. Yeah, no, it's not a bad book. It's a great book in all senses of the word. I just don't like it. I don't like talking about it. I don't like reading about it. I don't like reading it. I'm so I glad like I asked this of Heidi first because she defined our terms for us by going that direction. Tim, what direction did you go with the, with this? I was trying to think of contemporary novels, to be honest. Or, no, I should say, like, contemporary or classic novels. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. I, so what, what did you, you come up with? Um, Frankenstein. Okay. I okay. just can't stand Frankenstein. You like hate that book. It's really I, sad that you weren't on the podcast for that, because it would have been... <laughs> Really great to hear all of but, that. But also, that might be why he wasn't on the podcast. Yeah, that's so yeah. true. He was like hard pass on Frankenstein. Let me, I'm just going to do like my real quick Frankenstein impression. The passion of the passions that I felt passionately drove me into a passion. It's like, okay. The purple prose. Like, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Can't do it. David? So I've got, I, now I'm going to answer this both ways because I like Heidi's way of thinking about this because it allows me to just confess which great book I have a hard time with. And I think longtime listeners will probably know this, but for me, the great, the, like the great canon book that I have the hardest time with is Beowulf. Fair so, re- you know, I just have a difficult time. I don't, I recognize the genius. I know I have to read it every now and then. Do you get bored? I get bored. I get, it's gray. It's like, you know, we've talked about this before. It's a book that for me is gray. It's, it has not come alive for me. Maybe it's the translations. I've tried different ones. Maybe when I'm 65, it will come alive for me when I've read, when I'm reading it for the 10th time. So I respect it. I know I'm supposed to like it, but before our audience, the two of you and God, I confess, I don't like it. And that's a th- it's a me thing, not a Beowulf thing. Now, as for the other way that you define that, Tim, 
there are lots of novels that I feel that way about that like are a little, the, the, the prose is a little too purple for me. Um, probably the one that I would say is the most like that for me is, and I'm going to, so many people are going to have less respect for me after I say this is either David Copperfield or Oliver Twist. I have a Just very Dickens. difficult time with a lot of Dickens. Another Dickens, Dickens I really yeah. like. I appreciate a lot about Dickens. Um, I actually, I think I would say I like A Tale of Two Cities and Great Expectations and Hard mm-hmm. Times and those. Some there's, there are there are books that I like more than others, but Oliver Twist and David Copperfield. Actually, I don't know which one. Oliver Twist, I think, is the one that comes up the most when I think about this. That I feel like I'm supposed to like it, but there's something I don't know if they like is the dose of melodrama with the Dickensian prose that for me is just difficult. And again, it's me. It's not Dickens, although it is Dickens. I think combined it's with me, it's so. I'm just gonna say, Milton, why did you write Paradise Lost? So <laughs> it's not you. It's Milton. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Heidi coming in strong. I mean, this is the strong feeling segment. <laughs> so she did play by the rules. Tim, you're you you're up, and from now on, just when it's your turn, jump into the next question. Oh, I see. I see. Okay. Um, give me just a second here. Do you know how to work Google Documents? Wait, Google Docs. Um, it's on okay. the internet. You, you click on it. He and is it opens 50 up. now. Yeah. I would like each of you to name three authors you think are overrated and three you think are underrated. David, let's start with you. If you can just only come up with one for the time being, come up with one. Either Shout overrated out to Mary, too, underrated. for this question. Great, mm-hmm. great question. Okay, so three authors you think are overrated and underrated. You want me yep. to do one overrated and one underrated? Or I think one you can overrated? do as many as you want to. But if you can only come up with one, just do the one. Shakespeare? No, just kidding. Time out. Uh, okay, <laughs> we're going to have to press pause on the recording for just a second. <laughs> um, so that I think is... Are we, so, okay, I was going to ask about this. Are we doing like... Like, are we supposed to think about this in terms of contemporary or are we supposed to do this in terms of like the great I authors? I think the answer to that is you're just not supposed to overthink it. I just think the answer to that is you're not supposed to overthink it. books. Right. Okay. Uh, I, I think, I think, I think Dickens is a little overrated. It's the strong feeling segment. I'm just going to noticing uh-huh. a theme. I'm just going to go on. I've got to keep Good. going. You own it. You're, from now on, please, no more disclaimer. Opinion. You're an expert. People no, pay no, you no, to have an opinion no. about books. No, no one pays me to have an opinion. People pay me to help their chores go faster. <laughs> <laughs> to make, to make so carpooling like more pleasant. Literary housekeepers <laughs> is what you're saying. I'm like that little vacuum that's like a little robot that goes around your house. That's my job is to help people sweep faster. <laughs> you know, you could tell Siri to control that. I saw that on a commercial the other day. Great. So you're trying to put me out of a job. Okay. Does, does that mean it's Heidi's turn now? Yes. Okay. Sure. Just, so I'm doing one that's overrated. You can and do one, one to under. three. It's, it's up to you. Okay. So she asked for three. Um, I, oh, think, I thought we were just taking turns. Yeah. And I, I'm going to, there's going to be some wrath on my head and I'm just going to say it because this is the strong feeling segment. I think Mary Oliver is overrated. I also think that Anthony Doerr is a little overrated. Who's and Anthony Doerr? What is Anthony John Doerr? Milton. <laughs> <laughs> Anthony Doerr wrote um, most recently. Right, his, we cannot see. Yeah. He oh, won the Pulitzer for yeah, it. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I remember yeah, those, that you weren't crazy about that. I thought it was a good book. I thought it was a good book. But I people thought, are losing, I think people, up losing their no, minds. I think people love it because the way they feel when they read it, which to me is different from the skill of an author. Um, I think that underrated authors, Amor Tolls, whose book we're going to read this year, um, Eugene Vodolajkin, whose book we're going to read this year. So I'm happy about that. And I think Hilary Mantel is sadly underrated. Okay, so I'm going to jump on this. If that's okay, Tim. Yeah. yeah, please. So, okay. Contemporary novelist who a lot of people love, who I think is very overrated is Kristen Hanna. Um, her books are very, very popular and people act like she's a good writer. I think it's an example of where she captures you in the story. And um, it's not because she's like, I think she knows how to spin a yarn that appeals to certain people. Not that she's a great writer. Um the Amor Tolls one is really interesting because I kind of like, I like his books. I like the experience of reading them, but I don't know if I think he's a great writer. So we'll have to de- like, we'll have to debate this when we, um, when it comes up. It's funny yeah. because one of his books, R- Rules of Civility made me want to write. Like when I would list, I was listening to that. It made me want to go write, but I also don't know if, in terms of a lot of the rules for great writing, he fits the bill for me. So maybe I might actually say that at this point, given his popularity, as much as I actually like his books, I don't think he's like, as a writer, he's not like Evelyn Waugh and some people act like he's, you know, some kind of genius. So, I mean, you know, just since, since we're saying strong feelings in this segment, um, I actually do like a gentleman in Moscow though. And I'm, and I'm reading his new one right now. Um, an author who I think is super underrated, um, Michael Connolly. He writes hmm. uh, crime novels. Um, he wrote the Bosch series. I've talked about him before. And he wrote the Lincoln Lawyer series. And this is like New York Times bestsellers. But I think he is like, I think if he got too much, I think if he got started being called a great writer, he'd then probably be a little overrated. But right now people just look at him as like cheap, pulpy kind of like popular crime fiction. And so that makes him underrated. He's like a very clear, concise, narrative driven, like point of view driven writer. And I think there is a place for that. And so I think he's a little underrated right now. Tim, do you have any thoughts on this? Um, I have a book, Paul Coelho's The Alchemist. Yeah. Whatever. I do not. I mean, that book has sold millions yep. of copies for reasons that are utterly beyond my imagination. Like, what are we talking about here? A young man. I really like it when Tim gets salty. It oh just my makes gosh. me like grin ear to ear. <laughs> I just don't get that novel at all. I just don't get it. Um, okay, another one that I think is overrated even though his esteem in the literary community is high, I think it's actually fallen lately because he's like so obsessed with sex and that's just kind of like, he kind of, he's a little bit too sex forward. Honest. Yeah. Or, you know, no, I mean, I think so. (laughs) He's too confessional. Um, John Updike. I'll fight you. Oh man. I think John Updike as a prose stylist is top of the heap. Okay. So that's not what we're talking about. That's not what we're talking about. As far as like 
his ability to construct a meaningful plot in which characters transform toward, you know, good or evil. Boring. Boring. So you're not, you're not a rabbit fan, huh? No, I, how many did you read though? I've read two. Okay. That's, that's a good try then. I accept. I think rabbit can now accept your opinion. Tolerable. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. But anyway, I, I can see, I can see how, well, we're, there's going to be a question about this later on in a, that we're going to, in our, and when we're ranking things that, that will be related to your opinion, on, to, to like our differences of opinion on John Updike. Okay. That's great. I, here's my John Updike impression. The dry, Are you going to do impressions for every author that we, yeah, I am. We do? The dry sandbar made rabbit think of sex. <laughs> the passion fruit plant whose tendrils grew around the wrought iron fence made rabbit think of sex. I mean, okay. Got that one it. seems fair. <laughs> I can see it. Actually, now that you said it, now that I said it, I can, I can see it. Okay. So those are, those are a couple of my, uh, overrated authors. How about, do we have, un- we, you guys mentioned some underrated. I had a hard time thinking of underrateds, to be honest. Is this man brown? It is hard. Right? I well, and I even think I even thought overrated was kind of hard because I think any author that we're still talking about after they're yeah. gone for one generation is not ever going to be underrated, even if you don't like them. Yeah. Like that And so, Rand. Yeah. Like okay. But so, is she like everybody who knows literature okay. knows that Ayn Rand is like that Atlas Shrugged is just pamphleteering in a fiction in a style of fiction that if you have any respect for yourself or the country you reject <laughs> hello right. can you do your hello? opinion can you, can you do an impression of Anne Rand yeah I can um, <laughs> <laughs> Dagny Taggart for a moment felt an inkling of love for the man walking across the railroad and then she understood love is a weakness so too compassion. The only truths in life are iron and cold, hard cash. <laughs> Thanks. Are you, I think you may great. have just written the first sentence to of the next Atlas Shrugged. Uh, to the next Fifty Shades of Grey. Oh, book. really? <laughs> oh, I'm really excited about my day today. <laughs> Um, Heidi, I you think want to go on to the next question? Yeah. All right. Yes. The final okay, question from, of the strong feeling segment. Right. From Jacqueline Hale is a book that you love, but everyone else hates. What do you see in it that others might miss? Tim? Can we clarify what we David? mean by this? No, I want to know what we mean by this. I, what think, mean well, that, I like, think what we mean by this is whatever your gut response is, that's what, that's what it is. David is like Mr. Contextual He's today. Like what is Aristotle going on? Right I know. Let's parse this a little further. <laughs> Can we just break this down a little bit for me? Okay. So you like a book, but lots no, of other people you know don't like it. But okay. She said everyone else hates. Yeah. Like, so this is Facebook. <laughs> okay. That's not helpful. Tim, do you have one of these? I do. You don't go, do, Heidi, go. You have Wuthering Heights. People complain about that book all the time. I love that book. Really? I think it's brilliant. But it's like a classic. It is. That's what's throwing me off here. don't like it, especially, no, no, we're not, you are way overthinking this. Okay, Blood okay. Meridian. 
Okay, there you go. Great example. Go on. What Cormac, do you Cormac see McCarthy's in it that others might miss? Brutal, violent, beautiful, incredibly written, horrible, amazing book. And all of those things thrown in at the same time make it a terrible experience, but it's so amazing at the same time. That's a great and example. when you finish it, you feel like you've accomplished something and you never want to read it again. And then you can't stop thinking about it. So you have to read it again. That's blood Meridian. Well said. Oh, okay. I'm going to, I'm going to, th- I'm going to throw one out. Hamlet. Um, Hamlet by <laughs> William. Rumors get started. I know. Um, I'm going to set it up first because I think a lot of people actually really love this novel, but then as they kind of grow into their literary maturity, they leave this novel behind as if like they took the training wheels off their bike. (laughs) On the Road by Jack Kerouac. I love that book. I think it is pure literary adrenaline. I think that's how Jack Kerouac designed it to be. And I think never want to take off the training wheels if that's what Jack Kerouac's book is. I think On the Road is just a fabulous novel. I've got one for you. That's another really good example. Mm -hmm. Anthem by Ayn Rand. Oh, you know what, David? (laughs) That's a good one, actually. Actually, I don't like that book. I just thought it'd be funny. Oh, no, I actually, I mean, this is like... I read it. It's like, what, what, 80 pages, you think, David? Oh, probably like 150, but it's short. It's not compared to okay. like her other doorstops. I think if that was like the sum total of her literary output, I'd be like, Ayn Rand. Interesting. What's thinking about? <laughs> it's just like the fountainhead and Atlas Shrugged. It's just like, oh my gosh, please, please put us out of our misery. <laughs> But Anthem, I'm like, there's actually some merit there. It's, it's an interesting book. And you notice that it's, it's shorter. I just want to like, point that out. Since it's a strong feelings segment. My strong feelings about long books. Hey, so it is now time to move on to the Jesse Brown asks a personal question segment mm, mm. in which Jesse Brown asks this question. Which literary character would you marry? Mm. And really, it's not that personal, but it's kind of personal. And... I just wanted to have a segment called the Jesse Brown asks a personal question segment. So this one was the only one that worked because it was the only question she asked. Hmm. Heidi, what do you think? Oh, I know. My you didn't even have to think about this. Head. I know this one. Maxim de Winter. It's not Maxim de Winter, Who? but it's Prince Hal from Shakespeare's. Huh. No from, yeah. kidding. Oh, I'm like so in love with that man because here's why. Like pre-king? Well, it's the whole trajectory of his development of his character. Because he's like, going to die at like 34 of dysentery. Yeah, but he doesn't die in the plays. And he's true. So and we need a literary he character. This, he's like this tormented hero. I, you know, I like my guys real tormented. And I, and, but he like rises to the occasion. So it's like torment and nobility in one guy. I like love him. Tim, what about you? I've got a couple options. One, I'm Did you two, have one that like immediately came to mind? Oh yeah, Anna okay. Karenina. And okay. I totally get it. Like if you've read all of Anna Karenina, like you're you're drumming your fingers, you're looking at your iPhone that this podcast is coming from, and you're like, "Oh Tim, don't you realize who she is?" And I'm like, "Yeah, actually, I do realize who she is. I could have saved her." 
You could have saved no, her. You could have done it. And you know what? This is why I love this is because Constantine, a great soul should marry a great soul. A great souled man should not marry the ingenue, should marry somebody worthy. And if you I listen agree. to this week's Patreon episode, you will hear Heidi further discuss this topic. <laughs> so I am in full support of of Tim. Seriously, Anna I think Anna Karenina. Oh, my gosh. What a woman. Unbelievable. What's, what's your other one? Um, okay. I'm like the play that she occurs in. She's too young for me. So we're kind of like graduating for age, you know, like if I yeah, was yeah, yeah. whatever. Yeah, we know so, you're not a creep. Um, Juliet. Oh, oh my gosh. Awesome. Juliet is like, she's not, she's not just the ingenue. Like she is a like incredible incredible female character mm-hmm. so far ahead of her years. I mean, she like, she's still young, of course, but she's so far ahead of her years. I love Juliet. Yeah. I David. agree. Mine was, it's Lizzie Bennett. Oh, that's a good choice. She's, she's beautiful. She's clever. She doesn't put up with, you know what? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She's a character in Jane Austen. So she's, very well drawn. Some family questions going sure. on there, but sure, Christmas would be a little weird, a little awkward. Yeah, a little awkward. Okay. We'd have to, but but then we could hold down the. We'd have to help hold down the mm-hmm. the family fortress. <laughs> Guys, I'm so proud of you. What good choices you made in female characters. <laughs> Thank okay, you, Heidi. I want to flip this question around though. Yeah, sort of, because it got me thinking. Like Tim, if you had to choose. A male character. I'm not going to ask like which right. male character would you want to marry, but which male character would you, do you want? Would you most want to be like? Like, who's a character? Not like you love him because he's a complicated character. Like you don't probably don't want to be Falstaff or whatever. But right. who's a character that you, in fiction that you would love to be like? And Heidi, the same for you. That's kind of aspirational for you, or inspiring, or whatever. I, I mean, my I think my two favorite characters are. Hamlet from the play Hamlet and Levin from Anna Karenina. Like I really aspire and they're both just such they're complicated guys, but I think like by the end of their stories, the kind of people they end up being, I so admire. Mm. So admire Heidi. How about you? Penelope Penelope from the Odyssey. Oh For man, sure. Penelope's oh. so great on brand. She's well, yeah, she's because so she's great. She's she is the icon of the faithful wife, but she's in every way worthy of her husband, right? And that and he's a is, pretty big, yeah, figure. Yeah, exactly. And she has won his love in his heart, and that's um, to be loved by a man like Odysseus is pretty awesome. So, what David? about you, David? Yeah. I want to be Gandalf so I can be a wizard. Awesome. No, I would probably choose. Um, so, it, Tim, do you have a hard time like looking at fiction and saying like these male characters definitely are people that I would want to to be like? Like, do you like? I feel like there's more female characters in fiction that I actually find aspirational yeah. than male. Like, there's the Jane Eyre's. You know, like even I wouldn't want to be Darcy. Although Darcy ends up having a journey, right? Because the, the difficult man is kind of this archetypal thing in fiction. So you could say Odysseus, but you know that's probably, that's probably a good one. I don't know. Like you could look at Atticus Finch 
someone like yeah, that. Yeah, Atticus Finch is a um, great one. Great one. And Samwise Gamgee. Absolutely. Yeah, right. There's a lot of characters from those sorts of things. But so much contemporary fiction is about, in particular, contemporary fiction is about difficult men or men who make decisions that are problematic. And that's like the point of the drama. So the question just got me thinking about how that was kind of interesting. Okay, let's move on to the segment. Wait, wait, wait. You just got off the hook. You didn't name one. I have to choose. Oh, well, I just list like five. Okay, if I had to choose one, I'm a, I, I, I would choose Sam. Sam Wise. Good choice. Sam's so great. I'm a, can I just add one more real quick? Kent from King Lear, the mm. faithful servant of the king, Kent. Oh, man. Definitely Polonius. So he great. <laughs> Not Polonius, no. So is it my turn to do the next one? Yeah. And yeah, you guys, so in, in, in the, the segment, segment during which, which we rank stuff. stuff. Yeah. Just for fun asks Haley Croft, one of our favorites, could you rank your favorite sugary cereals? Let me just put some ground rules on here for yeah. Mr. Kern. Yeah. What three do we mean by sugary cereals? three favorite what? sugar cereals. Was that like because you think I'm going to have too many options or are you making no, fun of me because I like ground rules? No, because you're about to ask. Oh, okay. You're about to ask us to define the terms. Top three favorite When was the last time cereals? you had sugary cereal, Heidi? I do not know. I, I was trying to think about it while you were reading, Tim. And I don't know, but I know my answers right off the bat. Okay. Number one is Berry Berry Kicks, because I loved Berry Berry Kicks. I really like Golden Grams a lot. And sometimes I dream about eating Golden Grams. <laughs> I guess I don't yeah, eat a lot my of My wife carbs. loves those, all yes. those things. And Cinnamon Life. I really like Cinnamon Life. Hmm. Well, what's your ranking? So Number it's one, Berry Berry, berry kicks. kicks. So that was the Number order? two. Golden Grams, number three, Cinnamon Life. For me, um, number one, Apple Jacks. Me too. Ooh. Right? Number Apple Jacks are Gosh, number one. So when you come to town, we're going to eat Apple Jacks together. I would, I I would actually. Apple Jacks. Well, I, I said we. We are going to eat yeah. Apple Jacks together. Yeah, that sounds great. Does life cereal count? I already feel a little guilty. <laughs> <laughs> oh, see, I was going to ask this because if life counts, then would Crispix count? Right. There's well, not I like what's the threshold life. for cereal? I mean for well, sugar. Is, yeah, right. Right. Cuz is it like more than 10 grams? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know either. I'm going to say life cereal. Okay. You know. It's a little bit sketchy, but I'm going to say life cereal. And then there's the one I was having a hard time remembering this. I just know how much I love it. Probably I love it so much that I had to block my memory or I would just be like rah, 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 <laughs> eating it all the time. It's basically Rice Krispies in rainbow colors. Super simple. Oh, you're talking about co- like pebbles, right? Fruity pebbles. pebbles? Fruity pebbles. Yeah. That's exactly it. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Fruity pebbles. David? So mine are Apple Jacks 1 and Corn Pops 2. Yes and yes. Corn and then Pops. after that, it would be like, I mean, honestly, probably something like Fruit Loops or something. Just like, right. you know, pure kid, colorful, like the, the what kind of the, the uh, ring version of what Tim just said. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, Heidi, you want to do the next one? Okay, yes. Uh, uh, Next one is absolute favorite book of all time for each of you. And can we, I do want to set the ground rules that like, we're going to take like Shakespeare and Homer and the Bible and all that off the table. This is like your favorite novel that you love. Not like your favorite great book you feel like you have to say. You're not on a desert island. You're well, just like Tim's going to say Anna Karenina. Or, right. right. Is that, can or he say that? Or Crime and Punishment. Well, he's reading Anna Karenina right now. 
But if we were doing like last year, he might have said crime and punishment. Correct. Heidi, so, is he allowed Heidi, to say you that? know me. I do. Just, can I he say I'm a creditor? You. Yeah. You see me. Yeah, you, you can say whatever me. you want. Okay, yeah. but I just wasn't sure if you were saying yeah. your ground rules were saying you can't say. Yeah, but you're just, what I'm saying is you're not allowed to pick the book you think you should pick that you're trying to save for civilization. Just pick the one okay. you like. Okay. Yeah. <sighs> What's yours? Brideshead. Brideshead Revisited. Wow. I thought about this for so long. I had a nightmare. <laughs> um, By the way, audience, he also texted Jim and I and said he was just going to ask the questions because he didn't think anybody cared about his answers. So. I know. I know. No. <laughs> Whatever, David. So this is so hard, like, because it totally does depend on when you ask, right? Yes. But then I know what my Mount Rushmore of books is. Like, I know mm-hmm. what my top four are. In terms of the ones that this you go to, right, you go like the ones this. that they're my most like. I go to those books all the time. I think I probably would have to say, I think I probably would have to say Lonesome Dove. Like, like this. I, Fair enough. I love reading Brothers K. I love reading. I'm, yeah. I, I'm loving reading Anna Karenina. I love Pride and Prejudice. Love it a lot. And every time I read it, I like it more. I loved reading Jane Eyre. Like that was one of my favorite reading experiences ever. I love True Grit and I absolutely adore Crossing to Safety. But when it came down to it, I probably would choose Lonesome Dove because you can get lost in it and you can spend so much dang time with it. And the characters are so fun. I mean, atop all those reasons. And it's dark at the same time. What? Because Lonesome Dove is awesome. Lonesome (laughs) Dove is just incredibly good. Such a great book. Thanks. Heidi, did you already pick one? Yeah, Brideshead. The Brideshead, right. I do, man. Brideshead is so good. It is. Um, Okay, here's a question from Claire. What is each of your favorite literary romances? She says it doesn't have to be a romance novel. It can be a literary couple in any genre. And and then what is your favorite crime book if you've read any crime? So um, this is interesting because she says favorite, not what do we think is the best. So it's like, what? which of the literary romances do you like to read the best? Not... It, like you, it could be like, it doesn't have to be Romeo and Juliet or, you know, who like it doesn't have to be from one of those classic books. So Tim, what about you? What's your favorite literary romance? And she doesn't mean like the book itself, but the romance, the, the relationship. For me, my favorite literary romance is probably Andre Bolkonsky and Natasha from war and peace. Hmm. It's just beautiful. Absolutely. Hmm. Um, yeah, that's number one. Heidi. Uh, mine, I know I sound like a broken record, but mine is Penelope and Odysseus. Yeah. Because they're, they have this lifelong love, but it's very embattled. And I like embattled romance I, a lot. Um, and I just, I'm so moved by their love. And they're like a middle-aged couple. I just like that. I think yeah. that's lovely. Mm. David. My favorite is Frodo and Sam. right no my my favorite is um probably darcy and elizabeth bennett it's just like i know it's like stereotypical but it's so good because like takes some time to get to each other stereotypical it's iconic like yeah yeah it's so satisfying they have a lovely relationship but i have to say one of the things i love about crossing to safety is I love the marriage in that book. Mm-hmm. And 
it's such a complicated portrayal of marriage and it's not without, it's not, not, it's not, not fraught, but the way he writes about marriage in that book, I just find super, uh, super compelling favorite crime book. That's the second part of this question. Now I'm going to sound like David a little bit like, what do we mean by crime book? I'm just going to roll it out with it. Um, my favorite is crime and punishment. I think that counts, but Mm -hmm. There's another book that we haven't talked much on the air, The Secret History by Donna Tart. That's a good choice. That's a great book. It's, mm-hmm. The crime happens, I think, on page two or three, and it's kind of like the story is figuring out why the crime happened. You, I think you even know who committed the crime. It's just a question of like, how did it happen? Love that one. Heidi, a crime book for you? Yeah. So I, as everybody knows, I love Agatha Christie. My favorite Agatha Christie novel is called The Hollow, which has the character in literature who's the most like me, which might be why I like it so much. And it's actually kind of a really complicated and psychologically uh, true book, which I love. And the mystery is very satisfying. Uh, A fun fact about me is that I went through like a five-year stage when I read serial killer novels, like obsessively when I was in college and early adulthood, when I was getting my master's. Talk that out. Yeah, I was right. No, it's dark. Like those were, those were dark years, but I was just finishing up college and studying and getting my master's in counseling. And I just like, was like really into abnormal psychology. And I read like a ton of serial killer books. And then I picked one up to reread it a couple years ago. And I was like, who was I? These are horrifying. And I couldn't make it through. But there was a time in my life when I read all of those. David. So this will not surprise you in the least, but I overthought this one significantly. Uh, What? I read the question initially as what do we think the best crime book is? So I made a fairly comprehensive list for myself because I wanted to go back and, you know, make sure I read the ones that I missed. And I think the best crime novel is probably also my favorite is The Big Sleep by Raymond Chandler. It doesn't make any sense whatsoever. The plot is famously so convoluted that you couldn't diagram it out if you wanted to. It's all about atmosphere and like the writing and the characters and all that. But then the question I have is, most like if you talk about the, the crime writers of America, the crime writers of Great Britain and so forth, then those like groups make lists and they include spy fiction on as a crime novel. Are we can I include can I include spy fiction as crime novels? Yeah, I think so. Well, then, if so, my favorite is The Spy Who Came In from the Cold. Because it's so that's awesome. Because it's so good. Mm-hmm. Whose chance to read a question next? It's yours. Tim, it's yours. How would each of you rank the importance, asks Jessica Economitis. Oh, I'm so sorry, Jessica. How would you rank the importance of plot, character, language, or setting in your personal preferences? Please begin, David Kern. Okay, so um, I think that by language, do you think she means... <laughs> Like, you, I was just no, about to say, no, I will like, pay you twenty dollars to just take this question at face no, value. Do you think she just means like the writing, <laughs> like, like the language, like the the style? Yes. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So style is character. That's the same thing. You can like when you talk about good prose, what you're saying is that the characters are good. That's that is what that is. So I think I would rate those equally at the top. Then I would put setting and then plot after that. 
But they're like very tight. I don't, I don't, I don't agree with you, David. Because, okay, so let's go back to the Book of the Dun Cow. There's zero debate amongst the three of us, I think, that Chanticleer is a great character. But there was a lot of discussion and disagreement on how much the flaws in the writing impacted the way we felt about the story. Yeah. Yeah, see, I, huh? I would say character and plot are two sides of the coin, of a coin. But I wouldn't say that the language and character are like two sides of the same coin. I think okay. language can kind of be its own thing to some degree. Which might have been what you were trying to clarify a couple of minutes ago. Yeah, guys. Which we dismissed. We, yeah, you dismissed me, and then we disagree, and then you get all, on, you get all out to me. Um, okay. No, I, I think I disagree. Okay, okay fair enough. Okay. No, here's, here's my, here, let, me, let me clarify what I'm saying, though, real quick. See if I can do this in 30 seconds. I will not be able to. Character is revealed through point of view point of view is executed through the prose. True. If you don't have points of view, like every sentence you write in a book, regardless of the like perspective of the point of view is revealing the point of view of a character. So you cannot have well done, a well-drawn character without good prose. I would, I would argue like your, your, your character is incomplete if the, the prose that, that by which that character is revealed is done poorly. Now you can have good sentences here and there, but I think the greatest books, the the characters and the language, the writing, that's what pushes them, like makes them transcendent. But we, that's like, we don't have enough time to mm-hmm. debate that right yeah. now. Okay. Right. Tim, do you want to rank yours? I'm going to say language then character, then plot, then setting. So ostensibly, it's the same yeah. order. It's yeah. the same order. Right. Yeah. It almost Wait, I thought matter, you put setting a lot higher. If I did, I made it like it was plot and setting are my bottom two. For yeah. me, it's, there's a clear top two and a clear bottom two. Yeah. That's true for me. I think mine's the same character, okay. language, setting, plot. Okay. Interesting. Cool. Yeah. Interesting. Heidi, you're up next. Okay, so Haley Pask asks, if you could go back in time to see one of the following, which would you choose? A bard performing the epics in ancient Greece or an original performance of your favorite Shakespeare play in the globe? Tim? This is probably my favorite question of all the questions. I just love this question. I'm going to say what makes the possibility of Greek theater so appealing is because the role that Greek theater played in the ancient polis is something that I pine for. So the future rulers of the polis had the front row reserved for them during performances in amphitheaters. By the way, the amphitheaters were big enough to basically suit the entire city. So the entire city comes out and witnesses this play, the play, especially the tragedies, are oftentimes putting in conflict custom with ethic, with like what we'll call like transcendent law. And the great ones, 
Sophocles, Euripides are putting these three goods in conflict with each other and putting them on display for the future leaders, the young noblemen of the city-state, because in a way they're saying like, you're going to have to deal with stuff like this. When Antigone's brother dies for disobeying the king and his body is rotting and Antigone buries the body, you future leaders are going to have to deal with issues like this. I'm going to give you a chance to think about it before we get there. That is so exhilarating, just as a kind of like, as the power of embodied art and narrative, um, its influence upon society, the ennobling influence on society, there's nothing higher. I'm still going to pick Shakespeare just because (laughs) I think it's like, I just actually think it would be a better time. I just think it would be a lot. It's, I just think as great as the Greek tragedies are, I just think Shakespeare is better. Heidi, what do you think? <laughs> I see. I just, your twist was going to be mine. I was going to be like, I'd pick Shakespeare because I could understand the words. And <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, the ancient Greeks were like speaking Fair. Greek. Yeah, and I'd get to, I'd wear one of those Elizabethan dresses. So I I would, but I mean, really, I would love either one would just be a dream come true for so so many reasons. But I think I'd pick Shakespeare. You get to see Richard Burbage act like we've always known. Like Richard Burbage. Would I be just able this, to like, go, Tim? I don't know this. Could I even go? Oh yeah, as a yeah, woman yeah, for sure. To the Greek theater. Oh yeah, for sure. You'd be able to go. Okay, but you wouldn't be able to sit on the front row. Oh well. I don't think I probably. That's for the best thing. Her, she wouldn't have the next. Yeah. Well, that's fair. Yeah. Right. All right. Um, David. 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 Oh, you're ready to go to another um, question. Uh uh-uh. uh. I like what you were saying, Tim. You almost convinced me about the Greek thing, and then you ended up you going against everything you said. So now I'm <laughs> going to stick with what I was going to say and say Shakespeare, uh, because the globe is such a fascinating like. Cultural, mm-hmm. such a fascinating cultural experience. I mean, yeah, the, I, I was assuming for the sake of the question that I would speak Greek um, in my like time machine. It would have like it implanted a chip in my brain that helped me to understand the language, or I would have worn like you know certain goggles or something. But um, I think Shakespeare would be such a cultural event, and especially if the queen there, and like there's a chance that Shakespeare could get his head cut off, and all those sorts of things right, that were right. that were the potential. It'd be so cool. I remember on Facebook, somebody was talking about their daughter came home from class, from her English class, and her English teacher said something to the effect of, we make a really big deal out of Shakespeare, and Shakespeare would have laughed at how seriously we take him because Shakespeare was just writing entertainments. And I was like, you're fired, teacher. Mm -hmm. You're fired. Like, I'm sorry. The queen is in attendance. Like all the nobles of London are making their way. Sorry. Like Shakespeare mm-hmm. didn't care. Please. Please. Go back to school. Karen. Please, Karen. <laughs> this is my mom. <laughs> she would never say anything like that. <laughs> That's why I was so surprised. I okay. Know. This question comes from Kim. What are your top two to three favorite movie adaptations of a book? This is a great question. Tim, you go first. No Country for Old Men, number one with a bullet. David. No Country for Old Men. Seriously? You both have the same one? Well, that, oh, I've got three, but that's What's my other that's one. My. Oh, yeah. Did you only get one, Tim? I've got more, but I'll wait. So, yeah, what's yours? Give us one, honey. No Country for Old Men. <laughs> get out of here. Okay, good. Thank you. It's so good. 
<laughs> I, okay, so I never watch movie adaptations of books I like because I'm afraid they're going to ruin them. And so I don't watch them, which I think is bad. But the movie's every bit as good as the book. I really like the Megan Follows Anne of Green Gables, but I feel so lowbrow right now compared to No Country for Old Men. No, no, so. that's an that is an that's an amazing series. It's it's like yeah. the BBC uh, Pride and Prejudice. Um, what's another one that you have, Tim? Sense and Sensibility. It's a great Unbelievable. one. Unbelievable! It's so Ang Lee, good. right? What's that? Yeah, Emma right. Thompson. Ang Lee, yeah. yeah, Kate Winslet. Um, I'm gonna say The Godfather. Oh, oh such a good it's a choice. Great choice. Such a great choice. Good book. Maybe the best movie ever. Yeah. Heidi. Um, mine was also Sense and Sensibility. Yeah, it's a great I really one. like that. Yes. Tim. Okay. I, I am not, I do not recommend this book. I do not, do not, do not, do not recommend this book. And I do not recommend this movie. Train spotting. Next quickly. Uh, okay. Oh, I uh, just thought of one. Okay. Go ahead. I was going to say the big sleep. I mentioned the crime novel earlier. It's oh, a Humphrey yeah. Bogart movie. Yeah. yeah. With, um, a great cast. Uh, I believe it's Lauren Bacall. Uh, again, you will have no idea what's going on. It doesn't make sense in it. Doesn't matter. Okay, so mine again. I don't know as much about movies and film as you guys. So mine is kind of lowbrow compared to your choices, but it is Harry Potter: Deathly Hallows Part One. Mm. Do you have any others, Tim? I don't. No. I do. I do want to mention one more because it's actually my favorite movie ever. Happens to be based on a Graham Greene novella, uh, and it's called The Third Man. The Third Man. Oh yeah. So yeah, I've yeah. got to I've got to mention that it's not like I still haven't seen it. You and Sean have recommended it so many times. I'm ashamed to admit I've still never seen it. I, I didn't say it off the bat because technically he wrote the book as an exercise to write the screenplay, and then he turned it and then he edited it into a book. So mm. it was like he. It wasn't a pure adaptation, but it's it's so good. It's so good. Okay. Next question. Is it time? Um, uh, yeah, it's yeah. time. It's which, this is from Amber. Um, which books do a really good job incorporating food and are great for literary themed dinners? Well, this is all you, Heidi. Farmer Boy, for yep. sure. Farmer yeah. Boy, yeah. number one. Farmer Boy. Yeah, it's in the Little House on the Prairie, Little House on the Prairie oh. series. And it has this amazing, it's about, uh, it's about Laura Ingalls Wilder's husband's husband. childhood. Yeah. So, it and he lived on, she, she grew up, she had a very different upbringing than he did. And she, like, they had to struggle for subsistence. They were subsistence farmers for most of her childhood. Um, but her husband. Almanzo, he grew up on a prosperous farm in New York. And so it's just this like amazing description of all the food that they ate all the time. Um, and there's like pie and mashed potatoes and biscuits with butter dripping down the sides. And it describes them like making a canning and it's just food, 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 and like all American home prepared farm fresh food. And it just makes you so hungry and want to cook. I read it and just Donuts make, for like, breakfast cinnamon rolls and pie and... Yeah, pie for breakfast. And, yeah. Mm-hmm. Peas with butter dripping. It's just Yum. awesome. Amazing. It's a great answer. Mm-hmm. Do you have another one, David? Well, you know, we're going to um, read A Gentleman in Moscow, and that book does a lot of mm-hmm. stuff with... He writes about food and wine very precisely, although someone did come into the store and tell me that he got something wrong on 
one of the wine choices that he talked about. Oh, really? So, um, I would say I, there was one and I completely forgot it. Shoot. Is it was, a movable feast? <laughs> that's that a good one. book makes me hungry too. And for, just, actually, for pigeon. Yeah. Does it make you hungry for pigeon? Remember that? <laughs> remember the sun also rises. I do is good. remember. I do remember the pigeon part, but I just, every time I think of that book, I think of the tang of the white wine in his mouth. Oh yeah. 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 Just, Hemingway's um, great like on the, food. Yeah. Yeah. Brideshead's good on food. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. British novels in general um, are just great on, on food. I mean, Tolkien makes me want to eat. Like yeah. it's, mm. I, it, yeah. Um, I've got one while David's thinking Babette's Feast by Isaac yeah. Dennison. Mm-hmm. Go. Yeah. That's also on my list. And it is, I mean, it is about food and it makes me want to eat the food, but also just the, the hospitality, the welcoming, yeah. the way she sets the table and the candles and all of it. David, you still thinking? Well, I was going to say Farmer Boy too, but I think, I think I would probably say maybe the sun also rises. Mm-hmm. Um, That's a good choice. That's probably the one. I mean, there's lots of books out there that are like specifically about food. Um, but they're not all literary masterpieces. Right. The Supper of the Lamb is, I mean, it's not really fiction. Um, yeah, oh, yes. It's more like book. memoir, but that what is like, if you're interested in food and you want a vision for the role of food in the good life, that's yeah. the book to read. Absolutely. Little Women. Yeah. Good choice. All right, Tim. Last question in this segment. Okay. It's a slightly different question for each of us. David. Mm-hmm. What book would you like to make into a movie or remake into a movie? Heidi, if you're writing, are you writing a book? If not, would you want to? Please tell us about it. Tim, if you could adapt any book to the stage, what would you choose? David, I'd like to start with you. What book would you like to make or remake into a movie? Um, I'm going to... So there's, there's a lot of books out there that I would like to, I would love to be involved into making into updated versions. Um, as much as like, for example, Lonesome Dove, honestly, as much as I liked the miniseries, I'd love to see a, a new version of that. Like, you know, a 12 hour series or something like that. But I think if I was just making a movie that I've never, that I don't think anyone's ever made that I've always thought would be great. It would probably be, I would probably have to go with an Eric Ambler novel great spy novelist wrote a book called epitaph for a spy. Um, it probably was made into some like British movie in the forties or fifties. Um, but it's a great kind of espionage thriller. Like an and, every man is thrust into a situation beyond yeah. his ability. And, he and it's got like it. international travel and like, I think it's like, it involves photography. So there's all kinds of fun things you could do in a sort of Hitchcockian way. Um, so I think I would probably, probably choose, choose, uh, probably choose that. Right. Heidi, tell us about the book you're working on or that you wish you were working on. Yeah. So I am writing a book right now about, and nobody's going to be surprised about this. It's not about medieval cosmology, but it is about duty and desire in literature and life. Um, hopefully out next year sometime. That's exciting. Do you have a working title? The Divided Self nice. is the working title. Very nice. Subject to change by the publisher. How many pages? This is exciting. 
Well, you know, books are about 60,000 words, right? So that's what I'm shooting for. I'm going to have to curb my enthusiasm. So. You mean how many pages is it going to be or how many pages has she written? I meant how many pages is it going to be? I don't know how many pages that is, but that's what I'm shooting for. I have it all divided out by word it, count. Yeah. I mean, that depends on yeah. layout and font. And right. Like yeah. Um, Very exciting. So Tim, then what would you adapt to the stage? A short Life of Soren Kierkegaard by Walter Lowry, which I actually have adapted. It's the first thing I ever wrote as a stage piece. And right. it will be the last thing that I ever write as a stage piece. Cause I swear I have continued to work on that freaking play <laughs> since I started writing plays. And every time I go back to it, I'm just both like elated at the prospect and disgusted at the execution. <laughs> Next question. Well, this okay. takes us into the biography segments. <laughs> <laughs> I think we stumbled into the biography section before oh, that next question. The biography segment. Yes. So this, and, this, go ahead, Heidi. What were we going to say? No, it's your turn. It's well, your turn to read it. This, this right? comes from Haley. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Haley wants to know what our daily reading habits are. So for instance, do you have a specific time of day you always read or is it more random? I'll just jump in and say, I have no specific times except that it's more often than not late at night when my kids are in bed and I finish whatever work I'm still doing. Um, I read in the morning. I get up at, I get up early and I read. Usually I have like a spiritual book going and a novel or something. And I, I do read early in the morning on like my spiritual book after I do my prayer and, prayers and quiet time. And then, um, Usually at lunch, I give myself 20 minutes to read at lunch without doing any work. And those are my only set times. Other than that, I just kind of grab it when I can. By spiritual book, are you thinking a book along the lines of The Alchemist by Paul Coelho? Something like that? You know, that book is so underrated. Atlas Shrugged. <laughs> maybe, or maybe more along the line of an Atlas Shrugged by Ayn Rand. <laughs> Loosely spirit, spirituality in the loosest possible sense. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I read, I do a lot of audiobooks. So when I'm driving, I do too. Yeah. Um, I'm typically do Shakespeare if I'm prepping for a podcast after my work day. So starting, you know, like five or six, and then I usually read for an hour at night or listen to an audiobook. I'm trying to get out of reading audiobooks. I actually think it disturbs my sleep a little bit. That is when I read. Okay, so I think it's your turn again, Tim. Astrid Donovan asks, what is your earliest memory of grappling with a classic novel? What was the book and what did you think of it? Second, Grace Skelton Mulcahy, sorry, Grace. What was the moment slash experience slash book when you realized that you loved literature? So they're kind of, I think, yeah, one I answer for, the, for like a similar question. I just wanted to make sure that they both kind of got a shout out for yeah, yeah, yeah. question. I can go first on this one. Yeah, do I'll do this right away. Farmer boy. Oh, I love that. I, wow. I was probably seven, six or seven in that range where you kind of start. It was the first book I ever read to myself um, other than like little picture books. I remember my mom, I was eight, I think. No, that can't be. I must have already been reading it, but I, she gave me a nice copy for my eighth birthday because she inscribed it and I still have it. Um, but I must have read it earlier than that. But I remember sitting in our living room and my grandfather was giving my brother a haircut. And it's the first time I remember being like conscious of 
curling up in a chair with a book, kind of getting taken away and like being aware of the fact that I'm, I'm reading and it's amazing. Mm. Um, and, and loving it. Now there's times like, that's just the earliest, she said the earliest memory. It's not a classic novel. I wasn't really grappling with it, but at least as far as that, I loved books and what the experience was of reading them. That was, that was then if I was like grappling with a truly classic novel or something, it would have been, um, like truly grappling early high school or something and doing the Iliad of the Odyssey. Yeah. Right. Heidi. Yeah. I think similar. So I, I actually think there are two different answers for me. The first one is Anne of Green Gables. I'm sure that our listeners know that about me. Um, sad time in my childhood. I found Anne, I read Anne of Green Gables changed my life. That was my earliest experience with a classic novel. Again, I wasn't grappling. I just was loving, right. And I was just adoring. Um, but I remember the moment that I realized I loved literature, not just liked to read for fun, but loved literature. And that was in my high school honors English class when we were reading the love song of J. Alfred Prufrock. Mm-hmm. And I just transcend, like I had this moment. I remember sitting in this like green plastic chair with my teacher, Mrs. Conradson, who just didn't even know how much she was influencing me. Right. Um, and I remember her asking, is there a repeated phrase in this? Um, and noticing the, do I dare to eat a peach phrase and like, just like breaking over me, Mm. like this sense of like a wave breaking over me of like, I love this, not because I'm a good student and I like to read, but because I love wonderful. Yeah. Like I love this and this is bigger than me. Mm -hmm. This is smarter than me. Like I'm not, I, I almost felt like this sense of reverence. Like I, I, I'm too small to approach this thing that's happening in the world that, that exists that I didn't even know about and is now overcoming me. And that's when, and, and I thought in that same moment, I want to be an English teacher someday. So that poem, I wonder how many poets that was their first poem. I mean, I'm not a mm-hmm. poet, but that was the poem for me also. Let us go then you and I with the night stretched yeah. out across the sky. Oh my goodness. And what's the other line? Um, no, that patient. is not what I meant. That is not what I meant at all. That is not what I That's meant. That's the patient etherized on the table the mermaids. Poems, right? Yes, I can yeah. hear the mermaids calling each to each, but I do not think they call for me. Like, it's just... Oh, it's so this. wonderful. Yeah. Similar, you know, for me, one of those early poems that was like that was his poem, Preludes. Mm-hmm. Oh. Which the is cat. a very atmospheric... Yeah, the cat, yeah. like, coming, the fog, and the, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, this is a tough one to answer because it's like, is it officially the moment that you held like a, a real chapter book in your hands and fell in yeah, love with it? Yeah, I guess that's it, how I interpreted it. I'm going to go with the classic comic book, Moby Dick, that actually had a lot of art, incredible art. And it was, of course, Herman Melville's Moby Dick. I fell in love. And they preserve a lot of Melville's language, you know, in the kind of speaking bubbles of the classic comic book. I read Moby Dick over and over and over. First, I'm going to give... Been into whales ever since. Been into whales ever since. Um, I remember in a junior level English class, I'm going to sound like I'm contradicting myself. Do I contradict myself? What's the next line? I contradict myself. I don't myself. remember. I am, that's I am, from the love song of I am multitude. No, no, no. That's from... Um, Walt Whitman, uh, song of myself, maybe. Oh, anyway, 
I remember junior um, year literature assignment, my professor assigned everyone in his class a different novel and we had to kind of give a report on it. And I read Rabbit Run and I remember being like, oh my gosh, this character thinks about sex as much as I do. (laughs) Seriously, you know, because I'm 21 or 20, whatever it was, and it's just kind of like on repeat, you know, this seven second cycle. And it was like, okay, I'm not completely crazy and demented other people. And then I remember I appreciated it so much. I took the chance of saying, this character thinks about sex as much as I do. And my professor said, I know what you mean. And I was like, what you do? Does everybody like, you know, anyway, it was just like, I didn't feel like quite the I wasn't, I wasn't as crazy as I thought I was. <laughs> okay. This is a good question from April Watson. You guys ready for this yeah. one? Since we get to hear you show off your skills regularly, what is something you're really not very good at? <laughs> and she easy. also narrows and defines her terms, David. You'll appreciate that. She says, note. Thank you. A normal people thing, not acrobatics or art theft. I think I'd be pretty good at stealing art, though. So. Who is April Watson? Somebody we like awesome. April Watson. I know. Yeah. I know who April Watson is. She comes into the bookstore every now and then. Oh, really? Yeah. So what's something y'all are not good at? Singing. Ooh. Okay. I'm terrible at singing. Okay. Blowing up balloons. Terrible at blowing up balloons. Really? It's hard to blow up balloons. I'm really bad you have at to that. Have, uh, you'd be surprised because we do a lot of talking. So you'd think you'd have stronger cheeks. <laughs> <laughs> you would think so. You would think so, wouldn't you? But he doesn't. I'm very uh, bad at it. But also, that's like a Kern thing. Oh, okay. uh, you, you, hey, you know the Kerns. You know the Kerns. We're not good balloon blowers. It's true. It's a fact. Like all my siblings and my mom, none of us can. I think maybe like one of my siblings can. None of us can blow up a balloon. I'm just imagining a potluck. (laughs) A potluck. Like the Kern family shows up at a potluck after church. They're new. Who are they? They're the Kerns. They're not good at blowing up balloons. Oh. Man, you have no idea. That's who they. Oh. Putting on a birthday party is a real struggle. Oh, I bet. You know, they have people, they have people who do that. Luckily, I'm uh, married to someone stores. who is competent. Oh, good. That's good to know. This is opposites attract. Yeah. I <laughs> struggle at I struggle at two things that are really, really important. Number one, I'm directionally challenged. I am, if it was not for an iPhone, for Google Maps, I swear I would be like somewhere in downtown Atlanta right now from directions that I thought I had from last week. I'm terrible at directions. Another one is I am not good. I've gotten better. You guys, I'm working on it. I am not good at um, home repair stuff. Not good at home repair stuff. Like, I mean, you know, you should at this point in life be able to install a toilet roll holder. Mm. That's like an all afternoon job for me. You mean like the thing on the wall? First thing I thought you were going to be like, like a roll of toilet paper. Like, like, roll of toilet paper I don't like know if putting a roll of toilet paper back on the it. holder is considered mm-hmm. home repair. <laughs> I'm actually bad. I'm actually bad enough that I probably would struggle even at that. <laughs> okay, now you press one side in, I think, and now you no. Where's the screwdriver? 
right? <laughs> Heidi, how about you? Okay, so I'm not good. I am not good at a lot of things. Like I'm just like really good at a couple things, and those are the things I do publicly. <laughs> um, so I'm not good at using technology, and I'm not good at like moving my body. I'm a very clumsy person, which I try to hide by like dressing well. And but like I'm just like I still. I'm really clumsy. I'm not good at sports. I'm I'm just not like I walk across the room and bump into tables. Like I'm I'm really just clumsy. I've and never seen this, Heidi. I try. I have. Yes. Have you really, I'm, David? I definitely don't yeah. draw attention to it. Yeah. No, and I appreciate it. But just in general, I'm I'm just not like that. I'm not Damn. body smart. You just mm, gotta so. watch. You just got to watch. Okay. I'll just I'll keep an yeah. eye out for it. My wife yeah. always makes fun of me because I have very, like, I do not have nimble fingers. So if it, if it mm-hmm. involves things like, you know, you like try to do something like threading a needle or anything that involves like truly fine, fine motor, motor skills, skills. I can't, I can't do that. Part of it is because of playing sports. My fingers are screwed up. So I can't like bend my fingers all the way. Some of them. So it's kind of, kind of like an old man. Tim, I think you're next though, or am I next? David's next. David, you are. Jessica Brewer asks, what are your hidden talents? So the opposite. I'm, I'm really glad you April's. put it in this order because I feel bad about myself. And now I get to now say you get something to, yeah. good about myself. Yeah. So do it. Yeah, what is it, Heidi? I'm really good at roller skating. Are you really? That's a great one. I that is such a good one. I'm such a good roller skater. I roller skated all the time as a kid and I'm like really good at it. And I love it. I think it's so fun. And I still go roller skating sometimes or like rollerblading. I think it's really fun. It's the only like athletic thing that I'm actually good at. She just got through saying how she's not athletic. But. I know, yeah, but you but can I tear can it up. Your... Skate. Okay, yes, can you can. can you skate backwards? Yeah, I can. I can skate backwards. Chariot I can do, races. I can like turn around. I'm no fast. kidding. Oh, yeah, that's the thing I'm good at. What about you, Tim? Uh, this is going to be painful, but I need to own this. I used to play basketball. Five days a week, sometimes six. I was a very good basketball player. I cannot, basketball kills my body now. Like my ankles in my, like I just can't do it anymore. So I don't know if it's a hidden skill as much as the dilapidated skill. A former (laughs) skill. A former skill, right. Yeah. Right. Well, you're like tall and athletically built. So it's not like if someone saw you and like was hanging out with you and you were like, you know, when I was like 24, I was a baller. Right. I'd be like, yeah, that's definitely not true. I'd be like, yep, that makes a lot of sense. Look, yeah. Just look at you. I mean, you don't like get me baller. wrong. I'll still, I'll still take my down the block and like, you know, muscle out 12 points if I need to, but not like the days. David, not how about like you? like the glory days. Yeah. So, you know, I actually was going to say that when I was actually playing, my r- hidden talent that most people don't think is that I was, I actually shoot a three pointer. You were a well. shooter. I've played with you. Like, you could above bust. 50%. So, wow. I was a very good three point shooter. Now, you know, if you're 6'6, six, six, I had a hard time getting like, right. not guarded, but you set a couple screens for me. I'll, I'll nail it. Give me a good pass. I, I can be competent on the hang. basketball. I can hang on the court because I can stand in the corner and make threes. <laughs> <laughs> and then because of that, I've got a good pump fake. So that's about, that, I can't jump at all anymore. I, you know, any of those sorts of things. You could dunk, right, Tim? Yeah. 
You're six two. Six two. Man, I wish I was six two. I used to play on. I killed to be six two when I was sixteen. <laughs> I used to play at a half court, and the rim was a little bit lower. It was like nine eight instead of you know, seven, seven feet instead of ten feet. <laughs> and I used to like dunk pretty regularly out there. There's nothing better in the world that when you go up and other people go up with you to try to block your shot, they go back down to the earth. But since you're hanging on the rim, you don't. I you're don't, I don't know that there's a better feeling in the world. I don't think hitting a home run compares to that. It's just <laughs> magical. When I was in 10th grade, I would, we were warming up before a game and we were in the layup lines and I, I grabbed the rim on it and I thought a little bit more work and I'll, I'm like five, nine and a half at the time. I was like a little bit more work, more strength and conditioning and I'm going to get, I'm going to be able to dunk. Lo and behold, it never happened. Yeah. So that so one hard. time in warmups, there was like four people who saw it happen. Like, you know, we all can dream of things that are not possible. I'm next. Jeanette mm-hmm. Cosson. When, how did you all meet each other and become friends? Well, it was 1974. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Big Sir. Mm. Tim, were you, when were you born? Were you 71. born in 1970? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I wasn't going to choose the time Tim wasn't alive. <laughs> I don't know if I can count that far back. So am I right in saying that David and I were friends before Heidi and David were friends before Heidi and Tim were friends? Yeah, you guys are the OG friends in so, this friend group. David, when did it happen? I assume it happened. I think I know the answer. Well, you, I think because like, didn't Christine Perrin know you first? No. No? Did she? How did you get coming to Cersei stuff? Our friend Kim Yan. That's right. That's yeah. right. She introduced me to your dad. And yeah, I and think then you I started went, coming around. Yeah, I started coming around and I attended a Searcy conference and I kind of was repping Gutenberg College. That's right. Yeah, because I was running the conference and you were repping Gutenberg. And so we started communicating because you'd come as a rep, right? Right. But I think that I got invited to the Seattle conference yes. and I spoke for the first time and I remember it went really With well. Sarah McKenzie, David yes, Hicks, exactly. Andrew Kudua. Yep. Um, Gregory Wolf also, maybe? I think so, yeah. It was probably like 2012. That sounds right. And I remember I came off stage and I was sitting near or with you and I remember just being like, okay, good. I wanted to impress David and that went well. <laughs> Well, that, that's very kind, but also sounds made up. No, that's absolutely true. That's really true. Um, and when then, did David and when Heidi? Did well, I met you, Heidi at the conference. And right? did, did you guys meet before Heidi and I met? Mm, I don't remember. I remember my first conversation with Tim was about the play with the horse's eyes being poked. I out. remember that also. That mm-hmm. was in Louisville. Was that that was in Houston? No, it was in South Carolina. It was in Charleston. Okay, and um. And I remember having a conversation with you and thinking, I like this guy a lot. He seems really fun. Um, And because you had this like really interesting mix of like darkness and (laughs) (laughs) yeah, you, yeah. And incredible home fix it skills. 
of course. Mm-hmm. Yes. You, I mean, you knew how to change a toilet paper roll, which was, <laughs> I, I was like, I can be friends with somebody. It like was that. better than her five-year-old. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, and I met David before, but David and I weren't friends until, I don't know, five years ago. And we just, I came out for something and stayed with your parents. And then we had a conversation and I was like, yeah, I like him a lot. He's great. So yeah. Yeah. I think we all have enough common mm-hmm. yeah. ground and we were hanging around yeah. the same people and stuff. And then you just get to know each other that way. Yeah. All right. Because Heidi, you're up. I, I don't, think. I don't, I, I hate to do oh. this, but I just have to step in here. I'm looking at our list and I think because we're having so much fun, we're not really facing a bitter reality. Time? We are less than halfway through okay, the let's, list. Let's do some of these next ones fast. Okay. Let's finish this segment quickly. So like, let's skip the, let's skip the significant other one. We can talk mm-hmm. about that on a podcast sometime. So let's go to Nicole's question. Let's just, why don't I just go through a couple of these quickly yeah, so we please. can get, so would you rather live in a very, this is from Nicole. Would you rather live in a small town or an apartment in a big city and why? This must be under your current familiar situation. Familiar. Like you can't imagine your children are grown, but you can go ahead and assume the people you're currently know are not there. So basically small town, big city. Yeah. Tim? Big city. One of my wildest dreams is to walk out of an apartment complex onto a street, a busy pedestrian street, and be able to grocery shop, go to the gym, go to the library, go to a coffee shop, all within one mile. Heidi. Okay, because you can do that in a small town. <laughs> you, can do that. That. You, you can do that in a small town, but I think the odds are lower. Um, I would pick small town, um, but... I would probably prefer a big city, but I would pick small town because of the caveat that you must be under your current familiar familial situation. And I want to raise my kids in a smaller environment than a big city. I actually love big cities, but there we go. That's mine. David, I would pick small. In a small town. I would, well, not really. It's yes. not that small. Um, I would pick small town. I would actually live, live in a smaller town than the one I live in. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not that I don't like big cities, but I also kind of don't like big cities. So I think I'd be more, I think I would be, it would be worse for me to live in a big city. I think you like my anxiety, the, the things that make me anxious would probably be heightened. And I think it would not be as good for me. Mm-hmm. Where did we each go to college? Natalie wants to know, what'd you major in? Tell about your college situation. How do you go first? I went to Taylor University in Indiana, which is a small Christian liberal arts school. I majored in literature. Uh, and then I went to grad school at the University of Denver and I got my master's in counseling there. Tim? Brian College majored in communications. I grew up in a little place called Stone Mountain, a suburb of Atlanta. I was not homeschooled and I'm not oh, homeschooling was- my children. <laughs> yeah, there were a few other things that were tagged onto that question that I didn't read. I went to the University of North Carolina at Charlotte. I studied English and film, and I grew up all over. Sarah wants to know if you have an exercise routine. If so, what is it? I do not have an exercise routine, so I'm not going to say anything else about my exercise routine. This is a failure and a flaw <laughs> in my existence. Tim, you go first. I'm one of those CrossFit cult guys. I go four times a week for an hour. Today, we're going to be doing some power cleans if anyone would like to join us. It explains why you look how you do. I know. I have to salute you because you talk the least about CrossFit of any other human being I know who does CrossFit. Do you know, and I'm grateful to you right, for that. Thank you. Do you know how you know people are part of 
CrossFit. They belong to a CrossFit gym because they never stop talking about CrossFit. Thank you. Yeah, right. No, I get it. Yeah. Heidi, what's so your I really exercise routine? I appreciate you. I hate working out, but I do work out. Um, so if it's nice out, I'll, if it's nice out, I'll go for a run or a walk or a hike. I really do enjoy that. But like actual working out, I hate, but I do it several times a week because I'm vain. And that's the whole answer. Not even because I care about my health. It's all vanity. I'm vain, but I'm also lazy. So it's like the double whammy. Of- double whammy. Yeah, because that's You're what I always so think about. Trim. Please use three adjectives to describe David Kernan. I'm always like lazy. Lazy. That number is- one, number <laughs> one, lazy. A general oh. lack of industry. Yeah, I just wish he'd like do something with his life. Yeah. Speaking of right. industry and doing things with your life, Sarah wants to know what resources we use to follow fashion trends. Heidi, you're the most fashionable among us. What do you that's, think? What I do you think use? that's false. I might pick you, but definitely you are- Instagram. So um, yeah, everything I know about fashion, I've learned from Instagram. I follow fashion. Um, what are they called? Influencers? Uh, it's, they, I, no, but whatever. i I want to say channels or blogs, and that's totally wrong. But They're influencers, accounts. Heidi. Yes, accounts. I follow fashion accounts. And you follow influencers, Instagram just own it. Sends me ads. Yeah, influencers, sure. And then they send me ads that are directed to me, and I am grateful for it instead of being appalled and shocked at their intervention in my life. You know what's stunning, Heidi? I do the exact same thing. Yeah. I've and I. Like right now, Instagram is a trusted source for me, which I mm-hmm. find appalling I've even about seen myself. The social dilemma. I know. I know. Exactly. And exactly. Yeah, I'm like an Instagram. Those shoes are so cute. I love that sweater. Click, click, buy. I own it now. It's so ridiculous. Mm-hmm. What I am stunned at is Instagram is incredibly prescient about what I like. It it makes me like just and disgusted like, with Thank myself. You, Instagram. So anyway, just, just, yeah. Instagram's true. Failure. Yes. Heidi, uh, David, what about you? The Instagram thing is very true, but it's usually not like, because they're the people that I'm following are, are fashion people. Although there's a couple people that are fashion people, but it's like other people that I think are interesting. And then it's, then you see what they're wearing. That's stylish. And you kind of like, that looks good on them. That definitely would look dope on me. Mm-hmm. And then usually it's like, not true. So, so like what Tim would look good in doesn't necessarily follow for what would look good in, look good on me. Probably the CrossFit. Also, yeah, true. <laughs> I thought my brother's very stylish though, so Tim that helps. Might not look good on Heidi and vice versa. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I hope that's true. I really want that to be true. <laughs> so Amy wants to know alternate vocation or career path. If you were able to jump into something new, different right now, necessary education experience, monetary capital, notwithstanding, Tim, you go first. I would be the director and playwright at a, um, for a troupe of actors of really quality actors um, somewhere in a major city. If I could do anything in the world with my life, that's what I would do. And I think I've probably got the training in the background to do it now. That just is financially, I don't know how to make that happen. Heidi? Uh, I'd probably be an Instagram fashion influencer. <laughs> Um, and Tim and I could that's both follow that, you. Like I could, like uh, that's like more. Thanks, that's Tim. plausible. Oh, maybe. thanks, Tim. I can You're see the best. it. Um, would you rather be beautiful, I would be, good, or <laughs> I, beautiful? Hands down. Um, I would. I would be a translator. 
I would, if I would study ancient languages and translate ancient texts, I would love to do that. I would, um, be a zookeeper. No, I would write, um, I would want to, I would want to be a long form profile writer, which is what I wanted to do anyway. Yeah. You'd, you'd be so good at that. Also, I would like to have just like write fiction and like make, like make me make my living writing. Okay. Sarah wants to know, um, what topic other than literature or education could you speak about with knowledge and enthusiasm for extended time? I'm going to say you can't explain why you just have to answer the question. Heidi. Wine. Tim. What did you say, Heidi? Wine. Oh. Ay, 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 ay. Ay, ay, ay. Food. Food and wine. Food and wine. That's one thing. Come back to me, David. I don't know. Uh, I could talk about football for a very long time. Okay. Um, I'm going to say Protestant theology. Ooh. (laughs) Well, now I feel I dumb. like it. Emily no, wants mean, to know what I has picked been- wine. So <laughs> I didn't. Well, yeah. I didn't mean to. Do, I didn't mean to do it yeah. like, oh, guys, you, you, my my mind is on higher things. I just think Angelically it's true. Good. We get yeah. it. Tim. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Emily wants to know what's been the most surprising thing about your current vocation. Oh my! I mean, that I get to do it. Yeah. To have, to take something I'm so. Like zealously excited and enthusiastic about somebody asked me the other day, Do you still like to read? I'm like, I like to read more than I ever have Mm. in my whole life. And it's because I'm always reading and talking about it and writing. And it's, um, and I get to do it from home and uh, with my kids around. Like it's, it's like a dream come true. I have, I have a good life. I'm grateful for it. The fact that I get to do it is a continual source of surprise and delight and wonder to me. I do a few different things vocationally. One of them is I write speeches for large nonprofits who are hosting big dollar fundraising events. That means that I get on Zoom calls with um, nonprofits that are doing fascinating work. And I will say I am... I have been very dismayed at the state of Christianity in the United States of America and when that happens, I get on a call with a client who is doing um, work that is working with a Christian nonprofit overseas, and my faith returns. It is so encouraging. David? Uh, the most surprising thing about my current vocation is that I can make a living doing it probably. Right. Yeah. Right. And like enough, pay for right? food. Um, yeah. Okay. Rita wants to know what is something we'd be surprised to know about you. Don't give an explanation. Just give the answer. Tim, something we'd be surprised to know about you. My hair might be more gray than Brown right now. Heidi. I'm like an introvert, not an extrovert and like very tormented by that. <laughs> David. Oh my gosh, it's so pregnant. I <laughs> forgot the one that I'd thought of for this. Um, something people would be surprised to know about me is I don't like almost any. What is it? He doesn't like almost kind any. of bread. <laughs> <laughs> I actually am so surprised. I am surprised by that. That was so great. And actually, you know, here's one thing that most people are really surprised. I don't like pizza. Huh. David. Well-made pizza? Yeah. I'm not, we can't, we don't have time. We don't have time. We can talk about this privately. We don't have time. 
All right. Don't Maybe care about pizza. Stouffer's Even French bread pizza? What about Stouffer's French bread pizza <laughs> with pe- the pepperonis? Stop the segment during them. which we try to be mildly helpful <laughs> is something we're going to come back to in a minute. So we're going to skip ahead to the hopes and dreams segment. Okay. Laura wants to know what author no longer living. Time out for Tim. I just can't. I, it's been an hour and 45 minutes. I can't do it. No, it's not. Oh, are you going to st- You don't have 10 more minutes? I can go for 10 more minutes. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I thought we we're going to go through this whole list. And I was like, man, I don't think we're, I just can't, I'm, I'm out of time. I'm going to, no, do you need to stop? Like, would you really need to stop? I can do, stop? I can do, t- I can do 10 more minutes. Okay. Let's go. I want to do some rapid fires and then I want to, we'll do, we'll save some of these for a future episode. Yeah. We're, so let's save the mildly helpful segment for later. So the hopes and dreams segment, I'm just going to ask a couple of these and then we'll save them for a future episode. Okay. What author no longer living would you wish to be a guest on the podcast? Tim, go first. Leo Tolstoy. Heidi. Shakespeare. I was going to say Shakespeare too. What living author would you love to have on? Annie Dillard. David? Uh, J.K. Rowling. Uh, Would Heidi, okay, from Holly, would Heidi and David ever consider teaching a wine for beginners class? Heidi? Yes. April Watson wants to know what role would you each play in a heist? Front man. Con man. Con woman. Con person. (laughs) Driver, because otherwise I'd get carsick. Nicole? Wants to know what close reads book would you like to revisit on the show? Heidi wants to do Brideshead Revisited. Brideshead Revisited. It's like the saddest thing in my life. It's the biggest problem I have. Tim? Macbeth. Oh, that's a good one. Uh, Brideshead Revisited for me too, but I would always read True Grit over and over. Um, Joshua wants to know what author have you not read yet, but most want to read and why? I don't have an answer for this one. It's a good question. It's such a good question that I don't know the answer. George Saunders. I actually don't know what the answer would be for me either. Uh, Kelly wants to know, um, let's, well, let's come back to that one for a future episode. Um, Breton wants to know who would play each of you in close reads, the movie. Oh, I have answers for this. I wrote them okay. down in research. Then let's let Heidi answer this one for us, Tim. Okay. okay. Um, so for David, it's the old Matthew Fox, not a new Matthew, not like a current age Matthew Fox. From Lost. Um, <laughs> he plays Jack and Lost because okay. he plays you because you are Jack and Lost because for several reasons I can't say because they're too personal and also because this reason he played Matthew Fox plays characters who are heroic in a very dependable way who are reluctant leaders and who always do the right thing but get grumpy about it <laughs> and that's you <laughs> and also the person who would play Tim uh is He's Matthew Fox nope it's Hugh Jackman because he's very masculine with this air of a leader, but you feel at all times that he might perhaps burst into song. Start crying. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, and also, whoever plays Lady Mary in Downton Abbey would probably play me. Michelle, I get that Do- all Michelle the time. Um, is that her name? Michelle Dockery. Okay, yeah, because I get that all the time. So that's, okay. those are my answers. Tim, do you accept those? I accept those answers, yes, fully. Okay. I want to skip ahead to the segment in which we answer questions about our souls because yeah, um, there's a great just, question here from our friend seconds. Mary. When uh, when was the last time beauty brought you to tears? Tim, do you have a question on the answer uh, on this one? I don't. I uh, it's so I, I couldn't hard. remember. I didn't know either. Oh, can you answer the Grace's question then? What piece of artwork is most soul stirring for you? Oh wow. And I didn't know if she meant painting or like art in general. She might just mean anything. And I'm going to say Michelangelo's Pieta 
which I have framed like a picture of it framed on my wall. And I just like stop in my tracks, even when I like pass it in my house and I looked mm. at it a million times mm. that P.A. Todd, the way the folds of the, of Mary's dress and the way Christ is draped over her and her look of love. Like it's everything about Unbelievable. that is, and even just the white, the starkness of it, like all of it is just so moving to me. And I, and it's never not moving to me. Yeah. For me, it's, Auguste Rodin's The Burgers of Calais, um, at the Outdoor Sculpture Garden at the Guggenheim in Washington, D.C. You can see uh, molds of it. It's about, I think, six, maybe seven men, functionally, the city council of a French city, Calais, who ransomed themselves, I think, to an invading army to preserve their city. I didn't know anything about that. The first time I saw the burgers of Calais in DC, I just was mesmerized. And I still am. I like, I could spend three hours there. Like right now, I just can't get enough of the burgers of Calais. David. Mm. There is, this is again, this is kind of, you know, <laughs> uh, Americana, um, icon, but the current thing for me is there is an Edward Hopper painting of a, of a woman all by herself looking out a window. Mm. And that in painting diner? is... diner? Is it that one? When no, she's... In the... Well, the, I mean, so Edward Hopper is one of my favorites. I know that yeah. he kind of gets a bad rap among some people. But um, there's a, it's more of a landscape painting with a house. It's kind of like a lonely, a lonely woman in a lonely house. And I find that painting to be particularly moving, but I will say that the, the first thing that came to mind for this question for me was, um, box, the, the famous cello concerto or cello. That's mm. a concerto. I don't know. I don't know. It's about music, but every time I hear that, that's the thing that like, I want to, I could listen to that over and over and over again. Can I throw in, uh, Gorecki's third symphony? Hmm. That one also, like anytime I hear it, just, uh, I know it's funny because I know, like, I see things in my head and I can hear the music, but I don't know the names of stuff. I'm really bad at that with music. I just don't have the headspace for it, I think. Let's do one more and then call it a day. What meal is your favorite? And this came from Emily. And this is a good, I think this is just a good one to kind of get to know each of us a little bit better. And uh, we'll call it a day after that. And we'll save these questions for a future, the rest of these questions for a future, a future episode. Tim, you want to go first? Cause then you can go if you need to. Favorite My meal. perfect meal is a really expensive, maybe filet mignon or a ribeye, a baked potato slathered in butter, a green vegetable, like broccoli or green beans, preferably steamed, and a very expensive glass of red wine. Heidi. So, I, I, mine's not super fancy. My favorite meal is like charcuterie. I love that. Like just over conversation, yeah. Charcuterie, like a really good one, with like interesting cheese and mustard and just like a full, really well done board and a great bottle of wine. Right. We should, we should have done this where we guessed what the other people's oh, yeah. favorite meals would be. Um, would you have guessed those for us? I probably would have guessed a steak for Tim. I don't know if I would have gotten all the other yeah. stuff. Right. Um, I wouldn't have been able to guess charcuterie for you, Heidi. I mean, it makes sense once I hear it. Right. Yeah. Can we guess it for David? Yeah, could you? That would be, I don't know. I think David's would be Italian. 
Oh, really? Mm-hmm. But I don't know what. But that's my guess. I was thinking mac and cheese with extra with pepper. With a sasakaya. Yeah. What is it, David? Uh, it, it, see, the, it would be probably, probably, it would be oysters. Oh, really? Well, not not sasakaya then. No, not no. You once yeah. you said sasakaya, I had to like rethink yeah. my life. Right, I know. But, <laughs> I, for um, those of us who don't know what sasakaya is, it's an it's oh, a. You have had it with David and I. It's, it's that a, wine that. It's the wine that all the close readers got it's for a me red, after, oh. yeah, after my yeah, mom. and then oh. we had at the so retreat. Such a, that was such a memorable wonderful. experience. That is an incredible, yeah, yeah. Thing. But the to me the the experience of eating something like oysters mm-hmm. is a big part of it because if I'm just saying what's my favorite meal, it's going to be like multi course, and the, you have right. to like you have to eat it like it's a very like purposeful way to eat. So I I think I would probably say that my wife does not like oysters very much so we would have to order like something else to go with they're it. not but most people don't like oysters yeah. like i would yeah. say a lot of people don't like oysters um but well, i, I do love italian food them. and it is it's an experience i think that's why i like uh, yeah i like anything that's very carefully prepared that's conducive to conversation yeah that's paired with with a really good drink like that just the intentionality of that yeah. Yeah. i care about that more than i care about like the mouth experience the taste you know oh well that's nonsense the mouth but... feel no well, that's not nonsense <laughs> I'm, I'm just kidding <laughs> I know Tim you are. are you okay have you have you, you you can't you can't endure an hour and a half of a podcast you can go do some deadlifting at CrossFit I got <laughs> if you don't make it a priority it won't be a priority <laughs> oh I know that's my whole my whole like strategy you guys should see tim's face right now listeners it's it is intense focused he's poised yeah he's a tightly coiled spring (laughs) well for tim (laughs) mcintosh but truly thank you to everyone who's having questions and we'll be back at it next week we're going to do the first 50 or so pages of ernest gaines book this was so much fun i don't know what i don't know if like listeners are going to enjoy this at all this was so much fun Yes, we have we have it a lot more questions. So we we will do another so one fun. of these before the end of the year. Yeah, um, perfect. And we'll, even if we just have to do a bonus one, but Tim, get on with your day. Get off your speech writing and your whatever CrossFit stuff you're going to do. Heidi, <laughs> get on with your walking. Or right. Yes. You're you get on with your book selling, providing for your family because yeah. you're so lazy. <laughs> No, I just don't like to run. So for Tim McIntosh, for Heidi White, I'm David Kern. Thanks so much for listening. And until next time, happy reading. Happy reading.